Welcome in everybody to another episode of Front Office Two Fridays. This is your host, Ryan Many, and I'm here joined today by social media specialist over at Red Bull Canada, Agnes Wong. Agnes, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me today, Ryan. Glad to have you on here, Agnes. Uh, got a great episode here today uh, and a lot of great things to talk about with you, Agnes. So to kind of start things off today, uh, we just want to get a quick background of what got you into sports, kind of how you developed your career over in social media, and, and eventually how you ever got to your role with Red Bull. Yeah, oh, quick. Well, okay, I'll try to make it as quick as possible. <laughs> uh, well, um, first off, I guess we'll start with um, uh, where I went to school. I went to school at, um, used to be called Ryerson University, and now is Toronto Metropolitan University. And I studied in their radio and television arts program. Um, they changed it to call, speak, call to call it media production um, halfway through um, because I thought I wanted to work you know, in TV and film and be a set designer. And while I was there, my two main areas of interest were script writing. I took almost every script writing course they offered and um, set design. And then we kind of hit third year and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I really wanna work in uh, TV production anymore. So I'm like, I better find something else I wanna do. And you know, luckily um, everyone there has to do an internship um, in their fourth year. And I had previously seen how the Canadian Olympic Committee um, had postings up you know, for like digital um, content internships, but I had never applied. So um, leading into the fall of 2015, I applied for an internship there um, and I got it. And the role was digital content intern. Um, and I interned like part-time for my fourth year of university um, there. And then I was like, oh, I think I wanna work in sports instead. Um, and then work in digital and social media. And, you know, unfortunately, like they had started the sport media program after I was already a student at Ryerson. Um, I think the first year they started, I was in like third or fourth year. So it was too late for me to kind of transfer into that program. Because I think if I had only been in the first or second year, I would have uh, tried to transfer over. So I um, uh, finished the internship and near the end, they had posted this role for like um, digital marketing coordinator, I think. But one of the requirements was you had to be bilingual and I, I only speak English, uh, but even so my manager at CP was like, oh, you should apply for that. And then I'll tell the hiring manager to, you know, like um, put in a good word for you. So I apply, I remember I go up to the ninth floor because the office is on two different floors and the hiring manager is a um, retired Olympian. And he is like super, super tall. His name is Jeremiah Brown. So I remember I go up to the front desk. I'm like, hi, I'm here for my interview with Jeremiah. And then he just goes around the corner and I'm about like five feet. And this like super tall guy is like, oh, hi, I'm Jeremiah. <laughs> um, I don't end up getting the job. I think they really wanted someone bilingual. Um, but yeah, that was like a good uh, kind of first interview experience for, I guess, like a first uh, job in the sports industry. Yeah, so um, now we're in like the summer after um, I graduated. And I think at this point I'm working uh, first at like at a summer camp and then I doing like administrative work for like the city of Toronto. And then I had applied to like several jobs and have been doing interviews, um, not just for jobs in Toronto, because you know, when you work in the sports industry, you might have to move to like random cities. Um, like I think one was Red Deer, Alberta, because they were having the Canada Games there um, in the next year or so. And then one was for Victoria, BC, because it was for um, Canada Sevens Rugby. Um, one was like Hamilton with the Hamilton Bulldogs Hockey Club. And then 
I had also applied um, to be a real-time correspondent for the World Cup of Hockey, and I don't hear anything from that, but, you know, whatever, you always apply to job, you don't hear anything. And then one day I get this email, and it's like, hi, my name is um, whoever, uh, and I work at MLSC, um, and MLSC, you know, they own the Leafs and Raptors, Toronto FC, Toronto Argos, and she says, we're looking for some well first it says like oh the nhl forwarded me your resume and you know i see that i'm like wow that's so cool and um i believe this woman at the time had been the community manager for the toronto marlies and she had been recently promoted to work on the lease instead um so they were looking for someone to freelance and kind of cover their games um until they had permanently filled that role so i go and talk to her it wasn't even really an interview i think she just kind of wanted to meet me to make sure you know i i know what i'm doing and stuff like that and then I uh, freelanced with them for a few months. I also interviewed for the full-time position there. Um, I didn't get it. Um, so then now I'm still applying for other roles and stuff. And like, you never really know who's going to help you out because I remember I was interviewing for a job at Sportsnet. And I think my application, I kind of slipped through the cracks because you had to be a student to do this job. And as I'm talking to the hiring manager during the interview, in the first few minutes, it comes out, oh, I'm not actually a student. <laughs> so he's still talking to me. He's like, tell me about yourself and kind of your experience and stuff. So I'm showing him examples of my work. Um, and he's like, well, hmm, my wife works at a media agency and I think they're hiring for like some entry-level positions. Um, you know, she's on mat leave right now, but I think I can still get you an interview. So um, I end up interviewing um, at his wife's media agency. Um, and looking back at it, um, I wouldn't have really wanted to do that because it was advertising. But you know, at this point, it's like, um, it's more like a full-time job, right? So, like, I kind of will take anything at this point. <laughs> so then I tell myself, okay, if I don't get a job by September 2017, I'm going to go back to school and do the sport and event marketing program at George Brown College because some of the feedback I had been receiving was, oh, you really don't have a lot of experience in like business and marketing, uh, which is kind of true because my uh, program at Ryerson was like about uh, TV and film production, right? So I go back to school and um, also there at George Brown, everybody has to do um, an internship. Um, and it's like a one-year program. And then one of the semesters is you have to intern. So I did my internship at TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, um, uh, as a social media intern. And then they, um, at the same time, I was also um, freelancing with the Canadian Olympic Committee because someone that I had worked with there um, while I was interning there, they reached out to me and said, hey, are you interested in um, freelancing with us during the Pyeongchang um, 2018 uh, Olympic Games? Um, so yeah, sure, of course I am. <laughs> so my main job um, during the games was, they had this contest called uh, like hashtag more Canada where you had to like post on Instagram or Twitter um, I think a photo of like photo of like an appropriate photo of like how you're kind of celebrating the Olympic Games, and my job was to like kind of approve or decline all the entries because there was like a section on the website where all these entries would come up, right? Um, so that was like my main job, and then helping with like contest fulfillment because um, there were like I think 32 contests, so I had to help like uh, select the winners randomly and then like email and say, hey, you want a contest? <laughs> um, and then after that, they asked if I wanted to stay on and be one of their um, weekend freelancers um, because, you know, sports happen on the weekend and obviously the staff can't work all the time. So what I would do with other freelancers is they would give us a list of uh, sporting events to watch out for, um, like, you know, skiing, snowboarding, curling, all like the Olympic related sports, and then tell us kind of what to do, like, oh, write a story for the website and then share on social or just do a social post for it. So I did that for like a year. And then at the same time, uh, I'm like interning at TIFF. And then 
I, um, someone reached out to me who I also worked with at the COC. And she was like, hey, I know someone at U Sports, um, which is kind of the, I guess the Canadian version of the NCAA. Uh, whether that's actually true or not, that's, that's not for debate. But yeah, it's the Canadian uh, version of like collegiate sports. And they were looking for someone, um, also a freelancer, to do um, social media work. So I met with the um, manager there, and he um, was like, yeah, I'd like to work with you on this. Um, but at the, around the same time, I saw a posting at the COC for a full-time job. And I'm like, oh, I want this job. So I apply for it. I interview for it. Um, and I don't get it. But um, they had said, we we're looking to bring on someone as um, a contract role leading into the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. Um, but we don't like have that role yet. Um, so basically I just kind of had to wait <laughs> for something to happen. <laughs> so uh, while I'm waiting, I'm doing work with like youth sports, still doing freelance work with COC on the weekends. And then um, I was also doing some work for um, Sidley, an agency. Um, one of their clients was DAZN. Um, so kind of covering um, Thursday, I think it was, I was doing Monday and Thursday night football, um, kind of tweeting on their accounts for them. Um, because before I had done work with them for the Commonwealth uh, Games 2018, and then someone had reached out back to me and said, oh, we're looking for someone to cover um, football or soccer on, on, on for us this season, um, and they ended up giving me football instead of soccer. So then I remember in, I think, February of 2019, I was um, in Calgary um, at the University of Calgary for the Youth Sports Wrestling Championships. And then I'm walking down the hallway and then I get this call and I recognize it's the um, HR person from the COC. So I answer it and she's like, oh, I understand you already talked to like the hiring manager and the director um, earlier because they're finally giving me the contract role that they had mentioned back in like, I think September, October when I was interviewing for the other role. So I'm like, yes, I'll take it. <laughs> and then, so I finally start that role um, in April, 2019. It was supposed to go until um, I think just after the Tokyo Games, so September, October. Um, so then, okay, what happened in 2020? COVID happened, right? So they postponed the games until the following year. Um, so what they end up doing is extending my contract until um, after the Beijing Games because they're going to be only six months apart from Tokyo. Um, and then I don't remember when I found out I was going to actually go to Tokyo because I always thought I was going to be on the home team, you know, working from Canada. But at some point before COVID happened, I found out I was actually going to Tokyo. So I was really obviously excited about that. Um, I, I ended up still being one of the people that um, goes to Tokyo um, in 2021 for the 2020 games. Um, you know, it's definitely a career highlight, you know. Um, unfortunately, didn't get to see much because we were just kind of uh, shuffling between the hotel and then the media center. Um, but I was able to go to the opening ceremony and I remember I was there with my colleague, um, her name is Paula, and I guess our other colleagues were sitting in the stands, and because there's obviously just media people in the stadium, they can kind of spot out where we're sitting, and um, we didn't have any service once the, the ceremony started, so like I was supposed to be tweeting stuff, right, but I can't if I have no service, so obviously my colleagues are like looking down at us, <laughs> like what, what, what's happening down there? <laughs> Um, eventually, we I think we figured out if we switched our phones to like 3G, so it wasn't like on 5G, it, it worked. Um, but yeah, I think um, uh, people that had previously gone to the games had um, told me afterwards, oh yeah, that's the problem we always found out we had, like no service. <laughs> like, well, thanks for the heads up, so we would have been 
better prepared. I could have told my, you know, my coworkers in um, Toronto, Montreal, to you know, tweet for me if they didn't see anything at a certain point. Um, but yeah, it was really cool being able to witness the opening ceremony live. And then I was also able to see um, Andre de Grasse run in the 100 meter final. Um, he won bronze and then kind of seeing like some gymnastics and um, judo as well. Um, judo is pretty cool, which I, I don't really know much about judo, but you know, uh, you know, Japan is kind of the birthplace of judo. So it was really, I kind of think surreal, you know, being there. Um, I can't remember the name of the um, arena, but like that was like the birthplace of judo. So it's really cool seeing that um, and watching the Canadian uh, Jessica um, Klimke, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, um, win bronze um, as well. Um, so where are we now? So uh, Tokyo has just uh, happened, um, go on vacation for a little bit. Um, and you know, it's almost two and a half years that I'm on a contract at the COC. And I, I believe they were always trying to make it a permanent headcount um, and give me a permanent full-time position, you know, which I always believed. But you know, also I'm like thinking, well, the small chance that it doesn't happen, right? So I have to think for myself, well, what's my next kind of career move? And I see that the um, NHL has posted this job for their in-game social team. Um, the official title is like coordinator in-game social media. And, you know, hockey is always my favorite sport. So I kind of sit on that for a couple of weeks, you know, which you shouldn't do, you know, if you want to apply, apply right away. You say like close the job posting. <laughs> but I kept checking, I'm like, okay, still up. So I guess, let me just apply and see what happens. Because um, I think I saw someone also post about it on LinkedIn. They were like, they're looking for two seasonal people. And I didn't really want to, go from like being on a contract to still being also the same thing on a contract, right? Um, but I was like, I'll just apply it and see what happens. Um, so I get um, an email for an interview. I go through all the steps, you know, the initial interview, um, the kind of the tests usually get to do, um, meet with the director. Um, and then they're like, okay, we'd like to offer you this position. So I'm like asking the hiring manager, um, like, um, is the hourly rate negotiable? Um, you know, are there any benefits? You know, I wish I, you know, see, it's kind of an odd question to ask, but I did have benefits when I was at the COC because I guess it was such a long contract. Um, so he's like, uh, let me go and ask. He's like, but I don't think any of those things are, uh, are possible. So he goes and he asks um, HR or whoever, and he's like, you know, unfortunately, the hourly rate is not negotiable. We just raised it and um, there's no benefits. Um, so, you know, think about it. Let me know by like, I think he said like Sunday, let me know if you want this job or not. So I kind of think about it um, and I, so the next part is I ended up deciding not to take it and I turned him down. I'm like, uh, I, you know, thank you very much for the offer. And I told him, you know, the hourly rate wasn't high enough for me and um, there's no benefits. And I, but then I also throw out there, I suggest, you know, is it possible for me to, to like do this part-time? Um, and he's like, well, what do you think is like realistic for you to do? I'm like, oh, well, two evenings and then one on Saturday or Sunday for like part-time, right? So he's like, oh, let me go and I don't know, investigate if it's possible. But I also fully accept, you know, he could come back, say no, or I just never hear from him again. And then um, I, um, the day I have to go into the office with my coworker because um, we had to record something for video. And we had like, we, I think the entire year had not gone into the office. <laughs> and I remember sitting on my desk, we sit next to each other and uh, she, I think I got into the kitchen or something and see I'm a missed call and it's the hiring manager from the NHL. So I go into the one windowless room we have to call him back and he's like, oh, um, I just wanted to call you back. I'm sorry, it's taking a while because 
um, we had to kind of go to whoever up above because I think it was kind of also above his manager. Um, we um, we were disappointed to hear that you didn't want to accept our offer, um, so we'd like to offer you a full-time position with benefits. So at this point, I'm like, oh my god. On the phone, I sound normal. I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. But on the inside, I'm like, oh my god, this is so exciting. Um, and then my coworker has slacked me to say, where are you? And I was like, oh, a personal call. Um, so then I calmed out. Um, he's like, um, the HR person's away until Monday, but I'll send you the information if you have it in email. Um, I think I call my um, my other coworker, who's also my friend. She doesn't work in the same department as me there at the COC. And then uh, my mom to tell them. And then I go back outside, like nothing had happened uh, in that room. Because my coworker's outside. Um, so then I leave the COC at the end of November and then I start at the NHL on December 1st. Um, so I work there for 11 months. Um, and then I think someone might ask, you know, uh, why would you leave the NHL? Um, I think there were like a few reasons for me. Um, one of them was, you know, this the role had always been described to me kind of as like sort of an entry level position. And, you know, for me, it wasn't right. Cause I already had the experience, you know, from working freelance and then working at the COC for almost three years. You know, at that point you could have described me as having like three to four years of experience, right? Um, but because also like the role was full-time and paid more than I was working when I was working with COC, you know, I, I took it, right? Um, and then the, I think, you know, working in hockey something is, is hard when you, you know, you hear all the news and stuff going on with all the systemic issues, you know, with Hockey Canada, and, you know, with the NHL itself. Um, I think it just wasn't the best environment for, for me to work in. And it's also hard too when you work in a sport that you um, also love to watch as a spectator um, because, you know, you're watching hockey all the time, right? Um, and it's like, do you still want to watch hockey when you're not working? I mean, personally, like I didn't usually watch um, when I wasn't working at night um, because, you know, the role was working from like usually 6 p.m. to like 1, 2 a.m. So like um, you never get to see your friends a lot because you know they're usually working during the day and then you have to work on the weekend as well right um and I just think one of the other things I had noticed um is when you kind of look at the leadership of of a team you know like at who the managers and um directors um VPs and the C-suite are of an organization you kind of look and you see like do these people uh look like me right are, it's like everyone that sits above me are they are they just like honestly I, I look at it and like are they just oh you know men are they all white men are there any women there um where is the diversity right and I feel like um in some parts of the NHL you'll see that it's just it's still all just you know white men um and you know I do appreciate some of the efforts they're taking um you know for example they put out a post um celebrating I think it was you know a team trans tournament but it also got like so much backlash from like people that you know don't really watch hockey but they see something that's like um about you know uh trans people and they're like oh I need to jump in and put in my opinion there even though I don't watch hockey regularly so you can see like the ways they're trying to um appeal to new audiences and kind of 
have that social impact. But at the same time, it's, you know, a really tough thing to navigate, you know, because historically the fan base has not been kind of open um, to things like that. So that was also um, kind of another reason. Um, so then when I saw the job posting at Red Bull, I was like, hey, this seems interesting to me. And then my friend, um, Brandy, who I worked with the COC, um, at this point she had left the COC and was also working at Red Bull. So I was like, hey, did I apply for this job? Um, so I applied for it. Um, the interview process took a while because I think they were hiring for the manager as well. Um, so after they hired the manager, um, he couldn't start for a little bit. So after he started, I don't think on the first day they were going to be like, you have to hire somebody. <laughs> so after he was kind of settled in, they started the um, interview process for that. Um, so I think from the time I applied, it was like April. Um, and when I left, it was October. <laughs> it was like uh, quite a long interview process. But Red Bull is so much more than just uh, a drink, you know, it's about like experiences, right? you'll see that um, we put on a lot of um, events. Um, maybe uh, one day you'll attend one of our events. Thank you for sharing from your start over at Ryerson University mm -hmm. to the now your position at Red Bull. Uh, one of the things that kind of you brought up uh, during that transition from the Canadian Olympic Committee to uh, the NHL was the going from a contract to a full-time role. From your experiences and from your colleagues who are also in the media relations side of, uh, of sports, what would you say kind of like the percentage are kind of contract-based versus a full-time gig? I feel like it really depends. I know some people, they just like, they like being freelance, right? Like a lot of photographers you'll find are freelance because they kind of like to have that flexibility to not be kind of tied to working for like one organization or one team. Um, but also when you're freelance, you don't have any health benefits, right? Um, and that was kind of the one thing I was looking for to have um, um, benefits. Um, I think a lot of like entry level roles that kind of start off as you know contract roles. Um, it could be like, for example, to cover a, a, a mat leave, or it could just be a contract role where they're kind of testing out how that role will work in the future within their team. Um, I think, like, I think myself personally, I would say maybe half the people uh, I know that work in sports are kind of contract, whether they, they like it or not, um, if it's their choice or not, and then the other half are kind of you know full time permanent. Um, I think it's really, it's really up to, to you, like an individual choice, like, do you want to be freelance and kind of make your own schedule, be your own boss, and kind of be able to work with the clients you choose, or do you kind of want that stability to, you know, um, be tied to an organization, but also get things like health benefits? I see what you're saying, where it's kind of uh, that, that flexibility and options, but also knowing that the, um, the sacrifices are the trade-offs between the two decisions, mm -hmm. whether it's a contract or full-time uh, position. And then you brought up uh, on, on the other note about kind of diversity and inclusion, about understanding, all right, is this the environment I want to work in? Do I see myself growing and developing and seeing others uh, like myself in the same position to grow? Uh, kind of how would you describe that to those who are look, maybe looking for their first role, their first internship, to those maybe looking for their second or third opportunity in sports, to think about that or, or how they could approach uh, diversity and inclusion? Well, I think when you first start off and you're looking for your first role, it, it's kind of hard for you to really have too much of a say. It, it has always been a factor for me, but like, I think when you're starting off to looking for your entry level role, you kind of don't have a choice sometimes. Like you might look at an organization and be like, oh, I don't see anybody that looks like me higher up in the organization. But like at the same time, you kind of want that first um, entry level role to kind of get that experience. 
so that um, further on in your career, you know, you kind of do have that choice to um, maybe not accept the role if you don't believe the organization's kind of working towards achieving um, their diversity, equity, and inclusion goals. So um, what I would say is like, if you're maybe in a role where you don't, you're not satisfied with a company's equity, diversity, and inclusion goals, um, you know, try to put yourself in places where you can make a difference. So for example, a lot of companies have like employee resource groups, such as like, you know, for BIPOC individuals, LGBT, LGBTQ plus individuals, or like even for like uh, mental health. So try and put yourself uh, to be on one of those um, ERGs where you can kind of have a voice and um, um, kind of, I guess, mold where the organization is going in terms of their um, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Um, and also, I think it's important if, um, if you feel comfortable enough to kind of be open with your manager about these issues. I know that's not the case for everybody because sometimes you might not feel comfortable talking to your manager about these issues. But if you are, I think it's important to let them know that, you know, um, DEI is one of the things that are important to you, right? Because they can kind of um, uh, maybe help you find mentors and um, other people that you can talk to outside of the organization. Um, if you can't find that within your organization. And then um, if you're a bit further on in your career, I think it's so important, you know, to be able um, to be an example for others that um, are more entry level. Um, for example, if you're uh, in a meeting and you hear something being said, you know, that maybe doesn't align with um, the, the DEI um, efforts that a company uh, publicly says, um, they're working towards, I think it's important to speak up and uh, maybe not in that meeting if you're not comfortable, but to at least bring that to the attention of your manager or somebody to say, hey, um, I was you know, very uncomfortable in this meeting, in this situation because of the words or actions of this person. Um, because there could be others that feel that way, but don't maybe want to bring that up um, and be a part of the solution to make everyone feel comfortable, right? Right. It's kind of finding that fine line between one to speak up and, and knowing that it'll make an impact or it'll make change to then also making sure to uh, still with still uh, be within your own comfort levels of, all right, how can I approach this to ensure that what I feel uncomfortable with can can be taken care of or can be addressed to, to make that change? Yeah. Um, and then I, I whatever the employee handbook says about like no retaliation for whatever you might want to bring up. I, I mean, I don't believe that's true because, you know, there are implicit ways to retaliate against someone, you know, which are harder to prove. So it's really knowing who you can speak to um, and to get your voice heard, you know, uh, maybe it's confidentially, uh, but knowing that that, um, that person will try and uh, put the effort to make the changes needed um, in the organization. Correct. Right. And uh, it's always kind of finding your allies throughout your organizations mm -hmm. where you work with, always finding ways to connect people and, and find a way. All right. How can how can we make this issue uh, get resolved? How can we bring it up to make sure that the, the people uh, who are in who are in the power to to make those decisions can make the right decisions or uh, improve their decisions that are uh, more in line with the company values and uh, where their efforts truly lie, truly rely on. Um, yeah, it's like, who will be my ally when I'm not in the room, right? Um, for example, like, maybe there's a meeting that's where it's just men, and then someone makes a sexist comment. Is anybody going to say anything about that? 
or are they just going to let that slide because there's no women in the room, right? Right. It, and it's kind of like some, some of those moments you need to make sure that you have somebody in your back to be like, all right, if this situation happens, they can come to me or I can go to them and say like, hey, we need to, we need to change things up a bit. This isn't yeah. um, how I want to see see this organization going moving forward. But I mean, yeah. great story on kind of like how you came came about from your experiences flipping from TV and production to then getting your way into sports and uh, having to make that decision to go back to school uh, when the opportunity to rise uh, first out. But um, kind of leading into my next questions for you is when you're working in sports and in the media side, it's a lot of storytelling. Uh, from your experiences from Ryerson to then now with Red Bull, how has your storytelling or how has your creative process uh, adapted and changed throughout? Yeah, um, well, I think when you when I first left or when you're in school, right, there's a lot of brainstorming with other people. Um, and sometimes you really don't have like a leader, right, when you're especially doing student projects. So I think uh, for me, it's really been the evolution of, you know, working from like student projects to doing like uh, you know real life scenarios, real life tasks and projects, um, and kind of brainstorming um, in new ways. And I'm not someone that likes to have a meeting and be like, okay, we're gonna brainstorm about. Yeah, no, I I in a similar position to where I would like some time to kind of marinate some ideas to kind of all right, here's what I have on, on task. Let me think of some solutions before kind of giving me only a few seconds to be like, all right, here's a, here's the problem, figure out a solution. I feel like when you're given a little bit, at least a few days or a few hours to think about the, the whole situation in itself, uh, at least allows me to, to give myself a little bit of more uh, better thought out ideas as opposed to just, all right, here's what I have on hand and then let's run with it. Because then obviously sometimes uh, with your first initial impressions, they don't always lead to the, uh, or they don't always lead to the to the resolution, or they can actually uh, put put people further back than where they need to get to. Yeah, um, and I've also like you know fortunately had um, been able to experience kind of the different ways the creative process works um, depending on the company that I've worked in. Um, so like in some companies, you know, you submit a design request, a, a brief, a design brief to um, it could be like the graphic designer or whoever the um, creative director, and then you know they do a first draft of um, whatever it is you requested for. So maybe it's like a, a, a holiday graphic, right? And then you kind of provide your feedback and then they either, sometimes they'll like agree or disagree with what you're saying and maybe they uh, don't want to make those changes. So that, that's when you get your manager involved, you know, <laughs> like uh, higher up with my pay grade. Um, so it's kind of been interesting to see how some, um, some designers uh, will just, um, if you, the, there are um, they accept your feedback um, and change requests more easily versus some other designers who might want you to kind of explain why you want them to make the change. Um, but yeah, there's always I find kind of um, you kind of need that good um, vibe between working relationship between you know, the design team and the social team and the content team, right? Because Sometimes you not might you might not necessarily agree with each other, right? But you know what the end goal is, right? You want to produce that final piece. So it's really um, being able to you know work with others um, and kind of find out um, different ways to compromise, right? And then I find that also um, a lot of the times um, for social, uh, we'll get like a template from the designers, um, you know, for like final score graphics or like uh, quote graphic templates. 
um, where we have, you know, some say in what the template looks like. Um, other times we don't, it just given to us and then we just easily, you know, change out the text or photo or whatever. Because sometimes people ask me like, oh, how much do I need to know about like Photoshop or Premiere to work um, in social media? Um, well, I think the important thing to remember is that, you know, when you are like a social media coordinator and manager, you know, you're not a graphic designer or a video editor, even though some companies expect you to be all those things and more. Um, I think it's important that you know how to do the basics, right? You know, like, can you crop a photo in Photoshop? Can you just like change out the text and, um, you know, export it as a JPEG, PNG? Like, I don't think you should be like designing things, right? You can have input into the design process and um, to like the video editing process and get feedback, but you shouldn't be the one, you know, designing graphics and always editing videos, right? Right, and, and I kind of like how you brought up where as a social media manager or as a social media coordinator, your whole job or in itself or your whole task isn't on kind of creating the post itself. It's rather kind of doing the final touches and then kind of coordinating when it'll be posted or scheduling the post uh, so that it, it kind of like reaches the optimal amount of uh, clicks or, or viewers. Uh, when that when that post goes out but I like that you brought up kind of a lot of interactions with other teams with the content team and the design team how would you describe that kind of dynamic as well when there's maybe a big event coming up let's say the world cup just happened recently how would that kind of coordination and involvement go for for those kind of events yeah well um I could talk about this from like um an Olympic perspective because I actually live that right so how we kind of did it at the COC is way before the Olympics even started I don't remember exactly the time frame, but first, like the design team will come and say, like, this is our design concept for uh, this specific games, right? And um, also because Beijing um, ended up being so close to Tokyo, they're like, this is how we're going to kind of have a design uh, system that um, is going to be reflected in both Tokyo and Beijing, right? And then um, specifically, we'll go to like whichever teams they have to. So for us, the social um, and content digital team. They'll be like, okay, what are the templates you need, right? And then we say, oh, we need a template for like um, when someone wins a medal, when there's a record, like Canadian record, world record, um, maybe a, a historic moment. Um, we tell them all the templates we need, what sizes, and then they go and create the templates um, that we ask for. And then we like get feedback, like, oh, um, well, because in, in order to lessen the workload for um, the design team, will make the graphics bilingual because there's English and French that we require, right? Instead of making a separate English and a separate French graphic. Um, and then, you know, just anything in French usually is twice as long as something in English. So there's also that to keep in mind. So then um, they'll create like mock graphics. Um, and then when they get the, like the final design, um, that's the one we'll end up using during the games. Um, and how we did it during the games is um, in Tokyo was uh, myself, our products, a web person, our senior manager of content, our research officer, I think just the four of us from the digital, digital team because um, we had somebody else that was working in the digital studio where um, athletes were being interviewed and kind of overseeing the video content pieces that um, had to be produced. So just like four of us um, in like the media center itself. So um, our research officer has kind of identified um, some key moments where we might win a medal. Um, and in those moments, like there's um, myself, I, I've like prepped all like the potential copy depending like for all three medals, right? And then also for athletics, sometimes there was a possibility of us having a double podium. So I had to kind of prepare those different combinations as well, even though like I was told this, like the chance of that happening wasn't as high as like just one person being on the podium. 
And then our designer wasn't in Tokyo with us. She was working from Toronto. So she was like on opposite hours, <laughs> whatever that ended up being. So she was online at that time as well. Uh, Cause sometimes we would want pictures um, from that day. So the fastest turnaround was for swim relays because our photographers were there trying to get a photo of whoever was swimming um, that day because sometimes the people that swim in the final aren't the same that swim in the prelim, uh, preliminaries, right? So we wanted a photo of the people swimming in that race that day. And if you think about how long a relay is, um, I don't know how fast, probably like four to six minutes, right? Depending on which relay is being swum. I think six minutes probably. Um, so the photographer that was in uh, in the pool, like uh, not in the pool, but you know, what I mean? uh, the photographer that was there would try to get a photo of them, like coming, walking out um, from behind onto the deck, and send that over to us right away, so that our designer um, could put that into the template, um, and then have like all three possibilities ready, you know, gold, silver, or bronze. So um, and I'm, I've already drafted my copyright. I'm just waiting for the graphic. So once um, the final results are in, and you have to wait. For like the final final results because sometimes in like especially athletics they have to review to see make sure everybody was like in their lane nothing um illegal happened um so once you wait for the final final results to go up uh we get the final okay from a research officer to say okay you can post it because i i've drafted like all three right for gold silver and bronze um and then i just press whichever one actually happened and good thing i never pressed the wrong thing because then i have drafted like the one for um that goes on the Instagram feed for Facebook um, and for uh, Twitter. And like, I've gotten the French copy from my coworker um, who's in Montreal, also working on opposite hours um, for the Instagram post, which is bilingual. And then after I do all that, uh, I post to the Instagram story. Um, so however many medals we won, I think I did almost all of them except uh, two of them because I was actually at the event. So then my other coworker was the one posting. Um, so that's kind of how the process uh, for design, you know, like live designing works. I mean, that's a kind of a cool dynamic and it kind of like you bring up how it's very proactive and it's always kind of expecting anything, really, any any outcome that may occur and, and already having the, the design and the draft ready for, for any instance, what it may be, because although the chances were probably like less than 5% or even less than a percent itself, you still need to have it ready just in case it does occur because you'd rather have it just set set in stone and then instead of like fumbling being a few minutes late to the to the table and be like all right well it happened already but we weren't we weren't there or we weren't yeah, ready like, for it um you never know right someone could fall in the race right and then uh it, maybe it's not just that multiple multiple people fall right then you'll have like oh who's left maybe it's like two canadians running in the race that end up on the podium if like something like that happens Right. And like, especially for those races or those, uh, like one thing that came up to mind was the 2010 uh, winter race or the, the ice skating race with the Paulo Auto where last second, two racers got knocked out right before the finish line. So then things had to just switch up uh, right at the last second there. But I kind of love that you brought up uh, about kind of just expecting anything that may come to be and being proactive, as well as kind of having that communication across the world with your team. Uh, being, I would assume, 12 hour difference, uh, a 12 hour, 12 hour difference but between Tokyo and Montreal and Toronto. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into kind of uh, building up those posts, building up the social media, which kind of brings up into my next question. And that you brought up uh, fairly recently was the equipment side of uh, working in social media. For anybody who like 
wants to get into social media themselves, like what, what would you recommend kind of starting out as? And then how has your, your equipment evolved over the years as well? Yeah, well, um, I don't, I don't think it's been too much of a difference since I'm not like um, a photographer. I feel like a photographer could speak to like, um, you know, equipment specifically for them. But I think for me, like, even when I was first an intern on the COC, like, uh, my role didn't really involve, um, like, social-related um, tasks. It was more, like, digital content, so stuff for the website and, like, helping with research and stuff like that. And, you know, that role only really required, uh, like, a computer, right? And I remember at that time, um, I was around when they did the, uh, the kit launch for Rio 2016, and I think it was, like, a Facebook Live or something like that. And I can't remember, like, the last time I worked on something that, okay, no, that's I remember it was like during the uh, uh, Toronto International Film Festival for like um, 2018-2019 um, some of the red carpets still do like a, a live like interviews with um, celebrities as they um, enter the red carpet but other than that like I can't remember like a sporting event where I was working on a Facebook live yeah I can't remember offhand um, because now it's like oh TikTok live right um, so for example um um, at Red Bull, we had um, a piece released with Sebastian Touton, right? Um, during uh, when COVID started, he started doing like these uh, really um, interesting and cool obstacle courses within his like one apartment. Um, and then people were like, oh, I think maybe it was his idea or someone was like, oh, why don't we bring this to life, you know, on, like on snow and he can like do a, a life-size snowboarding obstacle course. Um, and as part of the like promotion for that, um, we had a TikTok live where he was in a gymnasium, um, kind of recreating what he was doing during the pandemic, right? Like an obstacle course inside. Um, and I don't remember offhand how many tries it took him, but he had to go and do a live interview with uh, um, a TV station afterwards. So they were like, okay, one more try. And then he finally got it on the last try because he does the obstacle course. And then at the end, he kind of throws the basketball without looking at the net. And to, for it to be a successful, um, uh, run through the course the ball has to go into the net after he throws it and it was like his last attempt for that um so yeah so it's gone from like facebook lives to uh, tiktok lives um i think really the only thing that hasn't changed you know um twitter has remained the same and different i think like it's always been like you know kind of like the live tweeting you know what's happening um during the game um and it's gone from like a lot of just text only tweets to including like, uh, you know, GIFs, photos and video. Um, so I think really that's kind of been the biggest change, you know, evolving from text to including different kinds of media. And then now you can include like a photo and a video in a tweet. Um, and then I think, remember Periscope? When people would go live on Periscope? <laughs> I that know. sounds very, very vaguely familiar. Is it was it Instagram related? I feel like it was Instagram. Related. No, it was Twitter related. Oh, okay. I think it was a Twitter product, or like they they brought it or something. Um, but yeah, I don't, I can't recall offhand if I've ever worked um on a Periscope thing for work. But then I think something else I noticed. Um, you know, um, when I was at TIFF in 2018, 2019, um, as part of like a sponsorship they had with, I think first it was Huawei and then it was Samsung. Um, we would go on like the red carpet and take photos with the, the phone they had given us um, because like the red carpet photos, if we posted them, they were like sponsored by Samsung, right? And I think um, then there was like COVID for a couple of festivals. And then, I mean, and then now it's like, I think they've, uh, they've evolved mostly to doing just 
um, interviews on the red carpet and videos, you know, for Reels and um, TikTok. Um, so I've seen that change, you know, from being so focused on, you know, taking photos to like now um, a focus on video because of like um, what the platform really um, asks of you, like, you know, oh, focus on Reels and like focus on videos for TikTok. Right, because you, I mean, you, you brought up a lot of kind of the transition from Facebook Live and uh, kind of just what at the time, just with Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to now. Uh, more recently with TikTok, the prevalence of TikTok, how would you describe that, that acceptance or that adaptation or the adoption of TikTok in social media and with sports, as well as your experience with, with TIFF? Yeah, um, uh, so I think uh, uh, for TikTok, um, a lot of brands at first were like, you know, uh, using, um, well, I mean, TikTok first was like, I think musically at first, and then now it's TikTok. Um, because my uh, former coworker, um, Annette, well, not to my friend, Steph Vale, she actually started the NHL Gifts account, right, on Twitter. And then um, she also um, worked, has been working a lot on the NHL TikTok account from, you know, originally when it was just like a Musical.ly account to now what it is. Um, and I think, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of brands, they, they can't use like popular songs, right? They have to use the songs that are in the commercial library because you'll you'll see um, people comment like why are you using this music what is this music it's like well legally we can't use like, like the song that you hear on the radio <laughs> if it's not in the commercial library we can't use it like even like the the corn song i think he ended up lic licensing it or something so now if a brand tries to use it i don't think they can use it <laughs> um because you know we don't want to be sued i'm oh, sorry what was the question again yeah um, kind of the prevalence of tiktok and how uh kind of it's influenced social media sports yeah um i think tiktok has allowed us to see like a lot more um personality from athletes because i think i find that now like when i have like brainstorms whether it was like at um nhl or um now in my current like a lot of the times uh, like at nhl we think um what specifically can we do for tiktok right and not just like oh what's the video concept we can do that will live on both instagram and tiktok you know because some trends um, don't make sense on Instagram that have happened on TikTok, right? And everyone tries to like um, capitalize on trending sounds or just like um, trends. But I think there's slowly the shift away from um, following a trend more into storytelling, right? Um, I think even TikTok themselves um, said they're gonna focus less on um, trends and kind of more what stories are people telling? Um, because you know, I might watch a video and be like, um, oh yeah, that trend, I know what that is and that's funny. But when I think of that brand again, I might not even think of them again because you know they're just following a trend. They're not really telling a story. Whether, um, um, and if I did see a TikTok from them where it focused more on storytelling, the next time I see that brand, I'll think, oh, I saw a TikTok from them, which is really interesting um, because it was about X athlete or X story, right? Right. It's, it's it's suggesting that the, the image of, of one of the platforms, as well as the association with NHL and, and any sports organization that uh, has those TikTok accounts, because it, it will be uh, kind of longevity of, of the platform and longevity of the organization utilizing the platform to go, all right, we're not just any other, we're not going to be like every other organization that's going to fall on every trend. We want to set this tone of, all right, here's our TikTok platform. And we want to create the story through TikTok or create our own story that can only be utilized on TikTok. Um, kind of utilizing the platform to its best abilities to showcase uh, 
the story of the team or the players or or the uh, the league itself. Yeah, um, I think there's kind of like the, the fine line between maybe doing something that follows the trend while also trying to, you know, uh, storytell at the same time in an original way. Right. You, you want to always be, be original with what you do. And sometimes a trend does help out a lot in, in conveying that story for, for your audience. And kind of speaking about the audience with the NHL, with, with any organization you work with, you have a lot of passionate fans. And from your experiences, how did you uh, handle kind of those passionate fans, whether it was positive reactions or negative reactions to a specific post or just the outcome of a, of a match? Yeah, um, well, I think I was um, like my first role, you know, um, when I was freelancing with the Marlies, there weren't really a lot of passionate fans as like passionate as Leaf fans are <laughs> uh, when anything good or bad happens. So I didn't really see anything negative there. But I think like, um, um, when I was at the NHL, people would always comment, oh, this is the X number of posts you've done about the Leafs this week or this day. I actually went back to count one time to see how many posts we had done about the Leafs that night, and it wasn't what they were saying. Um, but yeah, people will comment. I think I think what I saw in the NHL is when people um, go and comment on players' partners' posts, um, negative things, uh, because that, that player maybe made a mistake on a play that night. I think that was like the worst thing for me to see because like, why are you going and attacking this uh, player's personal life, right? Because um, like in any other job, like if you mess up, no one's going to go and like comment on your partner's Instagram about your performance, right? Um, and also whenever we would post anything of, like about um, social impact issues, diversity, um, inclusion, there are always people that like um, stick to hockey, right? And it's comments like that, why it's important to still continue to post about that um, and be active in um, social issues. Um, so I think for me, um, uh, it wasn't so much about like, uh, it, it wasn't about like fans passionate about a, a team specifically, but just about the sport. They, they say, oh, this doesn't belong in hockey. Uh, compared to like when I was working at the COC, whenever we posted about like social impact issues, the comments were almost like mostly positive, right? And so it was kind of interesting to kind of see that um, the, the difference in responses. Um, and I think Facebook is like the worst platform for like negative comments. And like, I'm just like, I don't think people are thinking like, that's a platform where you're, I can see your name and like, like who you really are versus like Instagram or Twitter where you can make a, a fake profile, right? And maybe not use your real name or a real photo of yourself. And then um, at Red Bull, like I haven't seen any negative comments about um, uh, our athletes or sports so far. So uh, hopefully it stays that way. But yeah, I think for me, it's, it's been like um, fans that are passionate about the sport versus like um, teams because I haven't really worked too much just for a team. Gotcha. I see where it's, the, the image that you, that uh, audience and fans have toward a particular sport or an organization, they're a little bit more of, all right, this is how it's always been. But overall, thank you for the call again, Agnes. We really appreciate the story that you shared with us from your journey with Ryerson to Red Bull. Uh, but before we get into our Flash Friday section, what would you be, what would be your key takeaway for our listeners uh, for today's episode? All right. I think one is you'll do a lot of interviews. Sometimes you'll hear back from, uh, the hiring manager sometimes will just ghost you and you'll never hear from them again. I think uh, look for who your allies are. Do I have time to tell a story? Go on. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So um, 
I was on LinkedIn uh, in January last year and I had seen someone, an executive high up in a media organization, make a post about how it was his 60th birthday and how, you know, he still felt young. You know, this post is fine so far. And then he said, he, uh, because, you know, he still felt young, he was going to um, put in the pronoun section of his um, bio, LinkedIn bio, um, youth slash youthful. And I'm looking on the comments of this post and all of them are just kind of saying you know happy birthday blah 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 stuff like that and this one comment from someone um and this person uses they them pronouns and they have said you know this is not a joke you know it's a joke about like pronouns so then I also commented on that post saying um hey name a person you might have intended for this to be a joke you know however it's not funny to you know use pronouns improperly and then um he ended up arguing with us in the comments and then I didn't notice this until um uh, they had told me this um but our comments got deleted and some other people noticed that I, and they were like hey uh I noticed that you deleted Agnes's um and the person uh, Kate um um they had um so myself and Kate were the ones that were commenting on this post saying you know pronouns uh, should be used properly and then he deleted our comments he, I think he only kept one up from one guy that criticized him to anything else that myself or Kate had commented he deleted. Um, so then um, I made my own post about it saying, you know, how it, it's disappointing seeing executives in our industry um, refuse to accept criticism uh, like about the uh, proper usage of pronouns, right? And then um, I had people reach out to me, you know, saying privately, you know, saying thank you for doing that. You know, I saw, you know, the original post from that man and saw what you did and you know just thank you for doing that um so you never really know who's watching um because I have gotten some um other opportunities from people who have seen you know the post I made on LinkedIn you know about whether it's diversity equity and, and, and inclusion or just like about the work I've done in the past so I guess that's another thing you know <laughs> never know who's watching do the right thing yeah I think what's that saying like integrity is what you do when no one's watching I think that's what the saying is but like sometimes it's about what you do when everyone is watching, right? You know, I could have also, you know, just scrolled past and not said anything on that post, but I just felt like, you know, I saw someone that had made a valid point about how, you know, you should respect someone's pronouns and not kind of um, use pronouns improperly. Um, so I guess that's like my second takeaway is um, never know who's watching and what opportunities could arise. Um, and then I think my uh, third takeaway is um, you have to be adaptable, adaptable, able to adapt in this industry to, um, you know, almost anything, right? Like we talked about earlier, how um, we've changed from Facebook Live to TikTok Live, and you know, you never know what the next thing is going to be, right? Um, and I think also as I get older, I'm like, what are the youth talking about, you know? And uh, sometimes I see trends and stuff, and like actually like go on Urban Dictionary or like just Google, like what is this thing that's going on? I think it's also that fear, like as you get older, you might not be able to um, keep up with uh, younger trends. So it's really important to be able to adapt and um, surround yourself surround yourself with people that can, you know, um, be, ha that have the strengths in the areas where you might not, right? So for example, I might not be as talented as um, in, um, in like design, right? So obviously I know that I'll have to have someone on my team that is strong at design, or if I find that, oh, I'm not as good as um, someone else working on TikTok, I'll find someone 
who can be my teammate who's good at, at working on TikTok, right? So it's really surrounding yourself with a good team and knowing where the strengths lie for each person. And then fourth takeaway is sometimes if the one thing you're looking for is a salary increase, to get that at the same organization is going to be hard. You are going to have to leave that organization. You know, sometimes it's, you know, you could love your team and uh, who you work with in the organization, but like if they can't give you the, the salary that you're looking for, you're going to have to leave and uh, go to a different place. Um, because, you know, as much as you love working there, you know, you also, you probably have other personal like financial or other goals in your life that require um, a higher salary. Um, I think a fifth one is you might have to move. Like, luckily, I haven't had to do that yet. But, you know, if that opportunity um, did arise in the future, you know, seriously consider, um, you know, moving, whether it's a different city or a different country, you know, the possibilities, I think, um, you know, are kind of endless if you um, take um, moving to a different place into consideration. I mean, great, great takeaways, Aaron. And I love that you pre- that you uh, brought up the second one about kind of f- finding your allies and knowing when to speak up. Because although these situations are uncomfortable and you sometimes you're putting yourself out there uh, doing these these uh, uh, me- or uh, trying to trying to think of the word there, but like essentially like standing up puts you out on all all by yourself at times where it's just you. But at the end, at the same time, there are others there who are watching it and are seeing, all right, this is somebody I can, I can stand with. This is somebody I can uh, go to and be somebody I can go to for support uh, in times of need. So it's always good to kind of like make those bold moves to see, all right, who's going to be there uh, behind your back in your corner there with you when another situation arises down the line. But at the same time, you also brought up some great things about kind of uh, finding the next opportunities. It may not be within the organization and you have to take those moves, but those are some pretty kind of amazing moves right there. I'm kind of going through that process myself, but it, they are kind of, they will uh, kind of pay off down the line. So appreciate yeah, your um, key takeaways there. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah, I just want to say um, a, a good manager and one that you can trust, uh, you know, if they see that there's not a place for you to grow within the organization, will you know, will help you find someplace else outside the organization. You know, that's not always true for everybody, you know. Um, because, you know, they always say, oh, don't tell anyone you're looking for a job until, like, you have that contract signed and everything. So, you know, same thing again, like, you know, um, know who you can really trust and be uh, an ally for you. Um, but, yeah, a good manager um, will see that, you know, whatever your goals are, maybe there's nothing in the organization for you will help you find another job somewhere else. Right, right, exactly. Always finding your, your uh, allies with management as well, understanding that they hopefully have they have your back if they can't find in with you. Uh, have anything for you within. Uh, but thank you again for the, those key takeaways there, Agnes. We really appreciate it. So now we'll, we'll flip it up for Flash Fridays where we get to, little, we get to learn a little bit more about Agnes outside of work, uh, what she likes to do or what kind of fun stuff uh, Agnes likes to do uh, outside of Red Bull. For my first question for you, Agnes, is I always like to ask everybody on this show, for any of our listeners who are thinking about making their way out to Toronto, what are some good spots that they need to check out uh, once they land? Oh, gosh. I think it depends. Oh, a few things. Like, what time of year are you coming? <laughs> is it, oh, what season? Because I think if someone were to come right now, right, would say, like, oh, check out it, the Christmas market um, at the distillery district. I think it's kind of gotten too popular. But, you know, if you're a tourist, but you want to sometimes do touristy things, you know, I think so go to, like, a Christmas market. If you're coming in, like, 
the summer, I think a good place, you know, is um, High Park, because we don't have a lot of, I find, green space in the city, whereas some other cities might. So like High Park is like this, a really big park, uh, kind of more west, which is really good to like kind of just sit and relax or like go for a walk. I think, honestly, like the CN Tower, right? If it's like your first time in Toronto, go to the CN Tower. There's like a restaurant um, up there as well. I think it rotates as you eat. So you can't really tell too much, I think. I've never actually been to the restaurant, but I have been up to the CN Tower. Um, I think like sports related, you know, if you can go to like uh, a Jays game, Raptors, um, Leafs, if you can afford it, because, you know, those tickets are expensive. <laughs> um, but yeah, for sports related things, I would say do that. Um, and then other things, I think like um, Queen West, there's like a lot of cool um, shops out there and like Kensington Market. And then, I, I mean, if you're up for a drive, you can like hit Niagara Falls. I know that's not in Toronto, but that's like a classic a touristy spot. I, I like I I looked up on Google Maps and I, I didn't realize that Niagara Falls was was actually that that close by. I, it's a bit of a drive itself, but uh, fairly close for the proximity of Toronto. Uh, that I myself was like, oh, I didn't realize the two were that close to each other. So I'll I'll have those spots written down. We'll obviously write those down as well here, uh, just so that our listeners know where, where to check out. Uh, leading into my next question for you, Agnes, is if you had any opportunity or anyone or anywhere to have a social media collaboration with, who or what would it be? And what would you kind of do for your collaboration? Like oh, like me, myself, or like yes. me? Yeah, and, yeah. Okay, me, myself. Oh, God. Um, I mean, I think like it would have to be like Serena Williams. I mean, I can't think of what it is would actually do, but I think it would be really cool to work with her. I remember... Um, I mean, like this past year, I was freelancing a bit with the um, National Bank Open. Um, it's like um, uh, one of the tennis tournaments in Toronto. Um, and it was between Toronto and Montreal. So the men played in Montreal this year and the women played in Toronto and they'll switch next year. So the women were here in Toronto this year. And I remember I was sitting like um, right in the front row watching Serena practice. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, it's just one of those moments in life where, like, I don't know if I'll ever be this close again watching someone who's, like, so great um, at, like, what they do and, like, had such a great career. Um, and I never felt that, you know, when I was uh, close to, like, um, a celebrity or something when I was working at Pitt. So, like, when I was there watching Serena practice, I was just like, wow. And, um, yes, there would be Serena Williams. I don't know what we would do maybe like I want to say maybe some kind of like I'm not a photographer but like some kind of photo shoot I'd have to go find a photographer but something with Serena Williams yeah I mean hey you you got the person you got Serena Williams I mean you could uh your 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 options are endless your opportunities are endless what you can do with her so I mean hey you you got Serena you got one of the greatest one of the goats of tennis and one of the greatest athletes out there so Thank you for like, that. I don't and know. Kind of, like, I don't know if there's anything you could ask her that she, she hasn't been asked before. Yeah, you never know. You never know. It's like, you could just ask her something out of the blue that you probably thought was like, huh, anybody asked this, right? And then she's going to be like, you probably were the first person to ask me that. So I don't know how to answer that. So, yeah. all in all, thank you for that. And then, kind of, what my last question for you is um, kind of a travel. You said you were able to travel to Tokyo. Um, if you had the opportunity to travel anywhere in the world, where would that uh, travel spot be? Well, I've always wanted to go to Australia. 
I just, I mean, I think first of all, I um, I probably want to go there when it's our winter here, so I I wouldn't have to experience winter at all that year, whatever time frame it was. Why for like why? I don't know. I think it's just I don't really know the reason why. I mean, it's just always been a place I wanted to go to Australia, uh, kind of you know to see um the first like Sydney Harbor, um and like the Opera House, and then I know on the bridge you can do some sort of like walk or something across it. And maybe I would do that. Uh, I have considered doing the CN Tower Edgewalk here, but haven't actually done it yet. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll do that. Um, and then um, aside from Australia, um, I think also Paris as well. I know earlier um, I said I don't speak French, but like I was taking like some French courses uh, at um, Toronto Metropolitan University um, after I graduated for like discontinuing education. And then when I was at the COC, I was doing like kind of one-on-one -on -one classes with a, a teacher. Um, so while I don't speak French like too well, <laughs> I'm working on it. I think I would like to go to Paris to just see like how how uh, well um, <laughs> is my French speaking ability and to understand that. Um, and then just um, aside from, so Australia, Paris, France, um, I think I think Singapore as well. It just seems like a a, um, a place where there's a lot of different um, uh, people from other countries, um, and also you know warm weather. Um, um, I think they also have like one of the best airports in the world, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, Singapore International is yeah. one of is my go-to. I'm an aviation geek, so <laughs> that's kind of like one of my one one of my one of my go-to spots uh, down the line. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we have Australia, Paris, uh, Singapore, and then. Um, I, I have to go back to Japan because I didn't actually get to do any thirsty things um, and just like I it seems like a weird thing but like um, I think while we were there there was a Lawson uh, inside the media center so like uh, I, I got to experience sort of uh, some of the convenience stores there but like I see on TikTok I get a lot of Japan related TikToks for some reason <laughs> I guess because it, it knows I want to go there um, and just like to see all like the cool different convenience stores. Um, I know it's a great thing to want to go see, but, and then also to do like regular touristy things as well. And I think it's always cool. To, I always see those videos as well, kind of those vending machines, those convenience stores. I mean, like, man, I wish I had that in the States or in Canada to kind of like do it for myself. Cause there's, there's moments where I'm like, man, I just want to get something real quick. I don't want to have to like maybe go to the store so much. If I could just go down the street. There's like um. There's vending machines like where you can get warm drinks. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, man, yeah. they got a lot of stuff. Over want there. That in the winter. I saw something about like a cake and a can. So I'm like, all right, we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. They got a lot of stuff. You anything that you think about putting in a vending machine for some reason, Japan has it. So I'm like, all right. And love then, to then check um, it out. obviously, wherever I go, I'll have to um, check out what Red Bulls they have because uh, different countries have different ones. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I guess always go on a Red Bull trip too, to see what kind of flavors out there. I, for me, it's, it's Kit Kats. That's what I, I recognize in terms of international Kit Kat flavors. So I'm curious to see what kind of Red Bull international flavors there are. Yeah. I think um, leaving um, Tokyo, like the airport was <laughs> like, uh, I think that was where I spent the most money because I had access to like to buy different like candy and stuff. And then also there was like a small, um, not a small, but like a, a Tokyo 2020 um, section of like merch as well, um, because there were some things I wasn't able to buy for the media center where there was like a gift shop. So like the airport was where I did 
uh, most of my spending money um, when I was coming back from the Olympic Games. I mean, hey, you find the best stops over at the airport, so I won't <laughs> knock you down on that. But all in all, Agnes, great, great Flash Friday. Love the answers that you brought with us today uh, and really appreciate it. So this kind of wraps up our episode for today. Uh, but before we before we conclude things, what's the best way for our listeners to get in, in, to get in contact with you? Uh, probably uh, on LinkedIn um, or Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Wong Agnes with an extra S. Um, just because I guess when I was making it, I think when I was probably from high school when I made it, you know, Wong Agnes was taken. So I was just like, oh, throw on an extra S. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn or Twitter. Gotcha. We'll, we'll make sure to include those handles uh, for, for the post. But all in all, thank you again so much for, for joining us here, Agnes. Really appreciate your insight and your stories. And wrapping things up, thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of Front Office You Fridays. Take care. Thank you.